Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, it's great to see everybody today. We are uh, continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 22, and we're moving through. There's only, uh, we're getting toward the end of our study. We've got to, you know, probably this summer we'll hopefully uh, finish Acts. We have some really, really good stuff we've been looking at. The reason we've been looking at the, uh, you know, the book of Acts and sort of systematically going through things, I'm really passionate about the importance of, of teaching on the whole Bible and I'm a big part of the modern church movement, and uh, everything we do here is very modern. But one of the weaknesses, I feel, of the modern church is that we aren't uh, systematically teaching Scripture, and we just little topics here and there, and our favorite stuff we talk about. So this kind of study really makes us uh, you know, face things and deal with things that I think are important. So uh, that's why we're doing that. So uh, we're grateful for, for your uh, desire to study God's Word. And also, we want to teach God's Word in such a way so you can go home and read the Bible yourself and have a little background so when you read the New Testament it makes some sense to you. Hey listen last week we had over 900 people that watched us on uh, Facebook live and different uh, venues so that's incredible 900 people last week we had from Flagtown New Jersey I don't know where Flagtown New Jersey is but we had uh, Joy Manetta watching last week thank you Joy for watching and also Elisa Ponder from uh, Wetty Alabama so thank you that's just some sampling of people that are listening different places so Thank you much for, so, so much for listening. Uh, Jeremy Fruscio taught last week, did an amazing job. Let's give Jeremy a hand, did an incredible job teaching the Word, and uh, very grateful for Jeremy. So today we're in uh, chapter 22, and uh, we've finished Paul's missionary journeys. That's basically a church way of saying he went to these pagan cities where there were no churches, and he won people to Jesus and planted churches, and then after he planted the churches, he put leaders in place, elders, deacons, and he had these churches organized. Here's what's amazing. I was preaching and teaching in uh, Tyler, Texas last week, and I was talking about this whole Acts thing, and I was thinking about, um, you know, so it's so interesting. When Paul went to Philippi, there were no Christians there, zero Christians. He walked into that city, nobody was a Christian. And, of course, he led Lydia to the Lord and other people, and the, the Philippian jailer found the Lord. He goes to Thessalonica, nobody's a Christian. Zero Christians in the community, and he, he wins people to the Lord. Everywhere he goes, uh, there are no Christians when he goes there. And when he leaves, there's a bunch of Christians. And I think that's a really cool part of the, the story. And you, you look at this whole uh, movement of the church growing in the book of Acts. It's just an incredibly phenomenal uh, how that happened. And so I think it's really cool to see that happening. Uh, so today, we want to look at uh, a little bit of chapter 22. Uh, chapter 22, verse 1. I'm going to read uh, some verses to you. And uh, we'll read not the whole chapter, but just some of chapter 22 where Jeremy left off last week, uh, Acts 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. This is Paul speaking. 
to all the Jewish people that are around the temple. He's on, actually on the steps of the uh, Antonio Fortress. That was a, there was a fortress, a jail that was next to the temple. And he's on these steps. They're ushering him up to take him in there to flog him. And he's on these steps and he asks permission to speak and they give him permission to speak. And he says uh, in, uh, in, 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 in uh, verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any you, you are today. I persecuted the fathers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I'd even obtained letters from, from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you'll be told what you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias... Uh, came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all men of, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what you are waiting? What, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on the name of, calling on His name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, He said to me, "Leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me." Lord, I replied, "These men, I, uh, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed." I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were, were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into, bar into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. And they stretched him out to flog him. Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a, a Roman citizen who has not even been found guilty? So here's, here's the, door, the, steer, uh, the, uh, the deal on this story. What's really interesting is there's a change in what Paul does at the end of his third missionary journey. Now there's a pattern of what he's been doing. Now he does some, com something completely different. So uh, when he would finish the first missionary journey... When he would sail across the Mediterranean Sea, he would land in this place called Caesarea. And that was a seaport town, beautiful town. I've been there, absolutely beautiful place on the beach. He would land into that port. And then he would go on to land. He'd go left. He would go up to Antioch. Second missionary journey, same thing. He comes into the port of Caesarea and he goes to land, turns left, goes to Antioch. Why does he go to Antioch? He goes to Antioch because... That's his home church. That's the people that sent him out on his mission, missionary journey. 
And you'll read in the New Testament that it says that Paul spent a great deal of time uh, in Antioch. That was his people. That was his church. That were the people that he hung out with. So Paul had a local church that helped him and supported him and prayed for him. There's a wonderful principle there, the importance of being connected to a local church, being connected to a local church. That, what, that's what we are here. We're not a, we're not a concert center. We're not a, a worship center. We're a church where people connect here and they, uh, they grow in their faith. Now, sometimes you, I see people, and this is not to be critical. I'm for anybody that loves Jesus, but some people are sort of like hummingbirds. They kind of go to this meeting here and that meeting there, and they never really put their roots down into a solid local church. That's very important. There is no growth, there is no journey to maturity outside of putting your roots down and being a part of a local church. Very, very important. Karen and I, uh, about 12, 13 years ago, we built a house uh, in Millsboro, and, and somebody in the church gave us a gift card uh, of $1,000 to a nursery for us to get some landscaping stuff. So we thought, man, this is great. We thought we'd you know, like fill the yard up with trees and all that. Turns out that you know, things are expensive, so we got two trees for $1,000, and uh, they, were, they were maple trees. They weren't very big. And uh, so but we planted these trees in our backyard, and I was in the backyard the other day uh, in the late afternoon, and these trees now are enormous. They used to be sort of, uh, you know, not very big when we first got them. They were real small, but now they're enormous. And what I noticed about this one tree is it covered almost the whole backyard, half of the backyard at least, uh, two-thirds of the backyard maybe, with shade. And here's a picture of that tree, and a beautiful, beautiful maple tree. And, and the reason it's grown is because it's rooted somewhere. It's rooted in the soil. It's been watered. Now, a Christian is somebody that roots themselves in the local church. Paul needed the local church. He went to the local church. He was sent out from the local church. That was his church, Antioch was his church. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and that's where he hung his hat spiritually. I was listening to uh, Dr. Henry Cloud the other day. He's a Christian psychologist. Dr. Henry Cloud's an incredible uh, counselor, Christian counselor. His books are incredible. He was talking about stress and uh, how people deal with stress. And I'm always interested in how to handle stress better because, you know, stress is something we all deal with. So he had this little series on stress. So I was listening to his talk on stress, and here's what he said. He said that they did this study on monkeys, and they put this monkey, this solitary monkey, put him in a cage and uh, closed the door. And then they had lights around the cage and, and speakers and they flashed lights and they, they made loud noises and they put this monkey in a stressful environment. Then they take the monkey out after they turn the lights and the noise off and they take the blood of the monkey to check his stress hormones. And the stress hormones of the monkey were off the charts. So... Uh, they waited a while, and they put the same monkey back into the, uh, the cage with one of his buddies, one of the, the monkeys in the other uh, cage that he's, that he's friends with and they bonded with. So he put the buddy in there with the, with the monkey and closed the door and did the same thing. Lights flashing, uh, noise blaring, the same stressful uh, stimuli. And then they took the monkey out this time, and they checked his stress hormones, and they were cut in half. And the interesting principle there is, is when we are in relationship with other people, it helps us to deal with stress better. Now, can you imagine how much stress 
Paul was under, going to these uh, pagan cities where everybody hated him, everybody was against him, everybody was you know, pushing back against him. And, and, and so when he came back from those environments, there were people that knew Paul and Antioch. They had him over for a barbecue. They got their blue rhino grill out and fired it up, and they made some, made some uh, barbecued chicken. They had, some, you know, they had you know, some hot dogs, and they laughed, and they had a good time. And, they, and he was, this was a place where he was loved and cared for. So in order for us to grow and to handle the pressure of life, we need to be in right relationship with other people. The local church is that environment that God has designed that we would be in a right relationship and put our roots down and be a part of that. It's such an important thing. I, got, I always get little reports about different uh, departments in our church. I get, I'm on a kind of an email thing. And so I got a report the other day from the, uh, from the food pantry. They met on Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday they stock things up and Wednesday people come. And I, I, I don't know all the details of how the, that ministry works, but I, I just know that they're doing an incredible thing and I love what they're doing. But I got the report, and they helped like 99 people that day uh, that came in, and one family in particular that they prayed for and ministered to. But then there was a whole list of people that were serving, eight or nine people that were serving that day in the food pantry, of how they prayed for each other and how they supported each other and things that they were going through and how they prayed for one person last week and something had happened to change their circumstances. And I thought, what a wonderful picture of a healthy church where you have people serving, helping other people, but also they're in community as they do that. Say this with me, everybody needs community. Everybody needs community. So, you know, if you like just go to meetings and you fly into this concert, you hear, you know, you know, Michael David Smith or whoever, I don't know who everybody listens to these days, uh, and you listen to the, and you've got concerts and you go to a meeting here and there. There's a guy that I'm ministering to right now. He's like, he's like, he's like the, the ultimate hummingbird. He just goes to one meeting and that meeting and he never puts his roots down. He's been doing that for like 20 years and he's just not growing in the faith. You've got to put your, your roots down in order to grow. So normally, when Paul would finish his missionary journey, he would go to Antioch. First missionary journey, I could, I could tell you scripture by scripture, we could take our time and do it like a Bible study, I could read you every scripture, but he, he would go to Antioch. But at the end of his third missionary journey, he comes to Caesarea, instead of turning left, he goes right, and he goes to Jerusalem. Why does he break his pattern in this part of his life? Why did he go, uh, instead of Antioch, he went to Jerusalem? And it's very, very important. It's, under, it's the underpinnings of so much of what is in Paul's letters. Here's what's really going on. I could read a number of scriptures to you, and maybe I'll, I'll sample one to show you. But underneath of all of Paul's writings is this objective. There's been a famine. In fact, in Acts chapter 11... Uh, there's this prophet by the name of Agabus. Agabus says that there's going to be a famine over the entire Roman Empire. And so there's, this, there's, a, there's economical hardship that's fallen on the Roman Empire. And particularly the people of Ju- Judah are suffering and they're very poor there. And so these Jewish Christians are extremely poor. So for four or five years or more... Paul has been planting these churches, probably 10, 12 years actually, he's been planting these churches. Once he gets these churches planted, one of the things he's doing, he's collecting money from these Gentile churches to take to Jerusalem to help the Jewish Christians. So this is, this is all through the New Testament. He's doing this, and so he's, he's gathering money. So when he finally comes to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey, he's got this entourage of people with him. 
He's got all these people with him. There's like seven or eight people, Trophimus, Tychus, all these people are with him. Uh, They're all traveling with him. And the reason they're traveling with him, these are new names. These are people that we don't normally know. These new names are people from these Gentile churches that are going with him. And why are they going with him? Because Paul wants to handle money with integrity. So whenever you ever go to a church that you got one guy handing all the money and he's, he's doing all the thing, run, Forrest, run. That's not a good church. Uh, this, this, is a, uh, this environment here is you've got all these people watching over the money and they're taking the money to, uh, to Jerusalem to help the poor people. And so he's going there. And this has been in his heart for a long time. So that's why he's going to Jerusalem. In fact, let me read to you one verse of Scripture that I didn't read in the first service, but you guys deserve this, and so I'm going to give this to you. Um, it is in, listen to this, Acts 24, 17. This, he gives in this one verse, this is, happens a little later, he's, gives his, he's given his testimony to, to a Roman governor at this point, but he gives in a synopsis of why he went to Jerusalem and not to Antioch this time. Here's what he said. After the absence of several years, this is Acts 24, 17. uh, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. So here's why he came to Jerusalem. He's bringing money. So let's read this out loud together. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem here we go, to bring my people gifts for the poor, gifts for the poor, and to present offerings. So the reason he came to uh, Jerusalem was he wanted to help the poor people. He wanted to help the people that were suffering. Now, why did he do that? Why is he highly motivated to do that? Number one, he loves these people. He loves the Jewish people. His ministry is primarily a ministry to the Gentiles, but he loves these people. He loves people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. He loves these people. He says in Romans, I would be accursed. I'm willing to go to hell if my people, the Jewish people, could be saved. He loves the Jewish people. I was... uh, I was uh, telling my son oh, months ago about one of the best movies I've seen, you know, uh, which was Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you saw Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge is an amazing movie about this guy named Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector in carrying a weapon in World War II. And so he was on the island of Okinawa. And uh, he was, he was, when he went through boot camp, you know, he was beat up. He was, he was, uh, he was ostracized because he wouldn't carry a weapon. But he wanted to serve his country, and he didn't mind everybody else doing it, but it's his conscience not to carry a weapon. And so he wanted to become a medic, and he finally became a medic, and they go to the island of Okinawa. And they're, they're, his platoon goes up on this ridge, Hacksaw Ridge, and after uh, you know, a few hours, they're overtake, overtaken by the Japanese, and they have to get off the ridge. And when they got off the ridge, you know, uh, the only person that stayed back there was Desmond Moss. And all during the night, he, uh, he got those wounded friends of his, and he, and he let them down off the, uh, off the cliff there, and his hands are bloody. And, and, and every time he got done, every time he got done, he said, Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. 
He loved his friends. He loved his platoon. And, and what happened actually was, was that he, uh, he saved 75 people that night. Here's a picture of, uh, from the movie. And this is not a chick flick. Uh, this is a serious, serious war movie, but it's a really, really good movie. And I think when Paul goes to Jerusalem, this is his attitude. He's going there. He loves these people. He wants to help them. That's the first reason. The number two reason is the reason he went to Jerusalem was he wanted to build unity between the Gentile church and the Jewish church because the Jewish church was alienated from the Gentile church. And so Paul thought, and he writes this specifically, he said he believed that if he could take offerings from the Gentile church and take it as a gift from the Gentiles to the Jewish people that he could bring these people together and there would be one unified people. And that was his dream. He, he was a peacemaker at heart. He wanted to bring peace in the, in the family of God and he wanted to do something to bring people together. What really, really bothered Paul was the same thing that bothers the Lord. What bothered Paul was this uh, this animosity and this division in the family of God, and it really bothered Paul. I remember when, when my kids were growing up, they weren't very big. My, uh, my wife, Karen, she always hated, she always hated when the, when the kids would, uh, would, would fight. That really got her. She hated to see the kids fight. She went into the store one time, left the boys in the back seat of the car, and she came out of the store, and the, the, the windows are all steamed up. She opens the door, and when she opens the door, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the boys' faces are red, and they've been fighting, and that just drove her crazy. In fact, when they would have fighting at home, when the boys would fight at home, she would make them run around the house. She'd make them run around the house. Okay, you, you got enough energy to fight? Run around the house 30 laps. So that's what she would do. And if her and I would have an argument, she'd make me run around the house, you know. <laughs> So Paul hated that there was animosity between the Gentile church and the Jewish church. He hated that. He was grieved by that. And he wanted to bring unity. And he went as a peacemaker. And he went there to give money to the poor. He went there to, to unify the church. And when he went there, his mission failed. His mission failed. People were... Uh, there was a riot in the story. Uh, the, the Jews hated Paul, and they hated the Gentile Christians. And so what happened was, was they actually, you know, uh, put Paul in uh, captivity at this point. And so his mission, his dream of taking money from the Gentiles to help the Jews to bring unity failed. Sometimes... The mission of a peacemaker fails. Sometimes the mission of a peacemaker fails. Now, that's not a good bumper sticker thing to put on there. That's not a very positive thing to post on your office. But the truth is, is that Paul went there and, and he tried to bring unity between the Gentile church and the Jewish church. And his dream that he had of trying to bring unity and reconciliation failed. And here's what I think is important. We have to remember... That, that, that success, how God looks at success is different uh, as far as how we look at success. We always look at success from the external standpoint. Uh, we look at the signs that something's successful externally. Here's what I would suggest to you today from what this story teaches us. This story teaches us 
that success is being obedient to God regardless of what the external circumstances look like. Success is being obedient to God regardless of what the external circumstances look like. Say that with me. Success is obedience to God regardless of what the external circumstances look like. You try, you try to save your marriage. You're a Christian. You love Jesus. You love the Word. You try and you do everything and you pray and you fast and you get counseling. You do everything. But in some cases, the other party doesn't respond to that. And here's what I say, and I say this to people all the time. It takes two people to save a marriage, but you have to obey the Lord from your heart. A marriage is like, uh, you know, a, a marriage that's in trouble is like a, a patient on, uh, on a ventilator, a uh, serious situation. You do everything you can to save that patient. And I say you do everything you can to save your marriage. That's what you do. But it takes more than one person to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation is a process of two people. Reconciliation is a process of two people. Paul had it in his heart to bring unity. He wanted to bring unity. He wanted to bring uh, reconciliation between the Gentiles and the Jews. That was in his heart. I'm here to tell you that he was successful because he obeyed the Lord because success, as far as how God defines it, success, as far as how God defines it, is obedience from the heart, not external situations. And I just say to pastors, you know, hey, we all want our churches to grow. We all want to have these big ministries. We all want to reach everybody and all that. We all want to do that. We all want to be that. But I'm telling you the bottom line, I talked to the staff and our communicators uh, in our staff meeting about two weeks ago at staff training day. Hey, listen, our main objective is to be obedient to the Lord because obedience to the Lord is the definition of success as far as following the Lord is concerned. So say this to me, obedience to the Lord is the real definition of success. So you look at the Old Testament, going back to another figure, you've got David, David in the Old Testament, the third, second king of Israel. He wanted to build the temple, and he had in his heart to build the temple, and he didn't get to build the temple. It was something he really wanted to do. And so what it says about him in 1 Kings is, is you have it. The Lord said to David, uh, you're not going to build the temple. Your son Solomon's going to build the temple. But I'm pleased that you had it in your heart to build the temple. So basically, living life in this way, kind of like following Jesus, doing what Jesus wants you to do, and living that way and uh, all that. So anyhow, it's really... Really cool. A lady at the end of the first service, you know, she came to me. She, uh, she said to me, she said, uh, you know, I tried years and years to save my marriage. And I tried to work at that and prayed. And my husband went AWOL. And I said to her, listen, you were not a failure. You were a success because success is obedience of the heart. That's how God defines success. Very, very important. So pastors, I say to pastors, any pastors listening to this podcast, your, your objective is not to have the biggest church in America or the biggest church so you are somebody. Your objective, and we need more pastors in America that will be more committed to obedience than expediency. Obedience is always more important than expediency. What's happening is we are becoming dedicated to expediency. What will get me results? versus 
What does the Lord say? What does the Holy Spirit say? And let's be faithful to God's word. And we're committed here at Bayshore to obedience. We love expediency, but obediency is, obedience is always more important than expediency. Very, very important thing. So just say this with me one more time. Let's just get it in our heart. Uh, let's just say this. Let's say this with me. Uh, I understand, Lord, that your definition of success is my obedience to you regardless of the results. Very important principle. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you another thing about this principle. As I'm running out of time, I've got to get to my second point. I'll tell you another thing about this principle. This is a very, very simple way to live. It's a very simple way to live. When you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, you know, hey, I'm going to do my best, work hard. I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I want to follow that out. And uh, so it takes two people and all that. So anyhow, I got another illustration, but I'm going to just skip that and go to the last point here. So here we go. Uh, so Paul gives, uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and why did he go? He went to take money, help the poor people. And if he takes the money to the poor people, the poor people of the Jewish Christians say, oh my gosh, these Gentiles are wonderful. They're going to hug each other and have unity. It didn't happen. But God was pleased with Paul's heart. So he gets there, and they're about to rip him apart, and the soldiers come, and they back away when they see the soldiers, and they, they're taking Paul up to jail, and they take him up the steps, and he said, can I say something to the crowd? And so he gets ready to say something to the crowd. They said, you know, do you speak Greek? And he, he speaks Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. So Paul gets to speak to the crowd. And let me ask you a question. Here, 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 if, you had, if you had 10 minutes... Uh, on CBS or a and ABC and NBC and CNN and Fox News and all the major networks, and they gave you 10 minutes and they gave you a microphone, what would you say? This is his moment. What's he going to say? This is your big moment. Everything's built up to this for Paul. He's in, he's in Jerusalem. All the leaders are listening. Everybody's there. What's he going to say? And he tells his testimony. Now, some of us, you know, if we gave 10 minutes on CBS News, how, how many would like to just get a microphone for a little while? You've got some things you'd like to say. Some of you, maybe. Uh, you know, you'd like to say something about what the world's going on with immigration, and you've got different sides of it, about the gun problem, about Starbucks. Oh, my gosh, don't even get me. You know, it's just such an awkward thing, and all that stuff going on, and talking about that. Well, you'd, you'd just get your mic. You'd like to say something, wouldn't you? How would you just like to, you just, you know, you talk to the TV now when the Fox News is on or CNN. You're just talking to it. How many would like to have a mic just for a little bit? And you'd be talking about this or that, and Paul got the mic. And what did, Mike, what did he do? He told his story. He told his story how Jesus changed him. How he was angry at these Jesus people. How he hated these Jesus people. How he thought Jesus was a fraud. How he was committed to the law just like they were. He said, I'm just like you are. But I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed my life. And he took the microphone and he told his story. He didn't quote the Old Testament here. He didn't defend it from the Old Testament. He didn't use philosophy. He told his story. How many of you have a story of what you used to be? And then you met Jesus and Jesus changed your life. Now, he, he was, this is, this is one of the reasons that I deeply believe in Jesus, and I deeply believe in the gospel, and I deeply believe from a rational standpoint that this is true. How do you explain Paul, 
who hated Jesus. And it says in Galatians, the one who was the greatest persecutor now has become a preacher of the faith he once persecuted. How do you explain that? What happened to him? Let me give you an illustration that could make you mad. This is an illustration that could make somebody mad. This is not a political statement. This is an illustration. So put your seatbelts on. Here's an illustration. Everybody say, this is an illustration. Okay, okay. Donald Trump probably going to run for president again. I assume you know he's going to run for president again and all that, and I'm not asking you what you think about that. So don't tell me, so I don't want to know. So anyhow, uh, just say... Donald Trump's running for president, and Nancy Pelosi has a major change of heart. And Nancy Pelosi puts on a Make America Great Again hat, red hat. And she's wearing a Trump for, what is it, in the next election, whatever year it is, Trump for that. And she's introducing Donald Trump at the Trump re-election rallies. How many think that would make the news? I think it would make the news. That's a big change. Big, big change. Or we could just flip it the other way to make everybody happy. Just, just say Donald Trump says, you know what? We can never do better than Joe Biden. I'm not even going to run again. And I'm going to just represent Joe Biden. I'm going to introduce him at all his rallies, and I'm going to be behind Joe Biden. I think that's a bigger story than the first story. But anyhow, <laughs> this is... The magnitude of the change that happened in Paul. He was completely, radically changed. The great story, the great story of the gospel and the greatest proof that Jesus is real is how Jesus changes our life. Standing up here this morning on this stage here, singing over here was a guy my age that looks really great. He's up here, Tom and Roe. He's up here leading worship. I love to see Tom on stage here leading worship. And Tom's up here with all these young guys, and he's like singing, doing great. Do you know that Tom and Roe used to be an atheist? He didn't even believe there was a God. And now every week he's standing up here, he's worshiping the Lord, praising God. How do we know that God is real? Well, there's, there's a good example right there. There's people, there's a scientist in our, in our uh, Rehoboth campus, teaches a high school teacher here. Uh, he, was, he was an atheist. He was a hostile atheist. He was against Jesus. He was against Christians. He was against church. And he helps lead our Next Step program now. He loves Jesus and is there with his wife and his children. The best proof that Jesus is real is a changed life. It's a changed life. Second row this morning, Hunter Phillips uh, was uh, using $300 worth of crack, $300 worth of crack a day back, I don't know how many years ago. Uh, his marriage has fallen apart. He was, he was absolutely shipwrecked. He was, he was floating his drug habit through his business account. And he met Jesus. Farmer gave him a Gideon's Bible. He read the Gideon's Bible. And he met Jesus, and his life's changed. And now he leads our James Club to help people with addictions on Tuesday night. How do I know Jesus is real? Because Nancy Pelosi is wearing a, a Donald Trump hat. 
Say this with me. Jesus can change anybody. Change you. Change me. My, my story is so simple. I mean, I met the Lord when I was 12 years old. And my dad, he was, like, he was like buying boats and we had horses. And my dad was a materialist. He did whatever. You know, he just was unhappy. He just kept buying stuff. And he met the Lord. He was asked to do a Sunday school class in the Methodist church. And they asked him these questions about the Bible. And he read the Bible. You know, he's, his own pride, his arrogance led him to Jesus because these teenagers were asking about the Bible. So he's going to go buy a Bible. Imagine that. A Sunday school teacher doesn't have a Bible. So he went and got a Bible. And he read it, and he found Jesus, and the Lord changed his life, and I met the Lord, and we just, we just started following Jesus. I was with my dad the other day. My dad's, uh, my dad's not retired yet. He's 82. He's still preaching and uh, talking about his future, what all that looks like. And, and I said, Dad, I said, regardless of how your future plays out, I'm telling you, we were Christians before we were preachers. We were Christians before we were preachers. Uh, loving Jesus and serving Jesus is more important than anything. And uh, that's, so whatever that looks like, we're just praying through that, how that works. So, I watch these TV commercials like you do. And uh, Maria Osmond, remember Maria Osmond? Maria Osmond is like, she used to be on the Donnie Marie, Marie show. How many remembered Maria Osmond? And she's on TV promoting diet ads now. And so, uh, here's a picture of her now. And uh, she lost 50, 60 pounds. The story behind Maria Osmond is, is her, her, her mother died of heart failure, and her grandmother, heart failure was in, in her family. And her 23-year-old son, she has eight kids, her 23-year-old son came to her and said, listen, Mom, you know, you know, when she was looking like this, he thought, you know, you're really, you're gonna, we don't want to lose you, and our kids need you, our grandkids need you. And so she was on Dancing with the Stars, and she started taking this Nutrisystem. And she took Nutrisystem, and she's lost all this weight, and she's like size two or four, whatever that means now. That's what she wears. And uh, so, you know, I was in the first service, I kept saying, she's on Nutrisweet. She's on Nutrisweet. And everybody was laughing, and I, I got it wrong. It was Nutrisystem. She was on Nutrisystem. And here's, here's why, here's why, here's why I think the Nutrisystem thing has some credibility. It's the results that come out of the credibility, out of the system. How do I know that Christianity has credibility? It's the results that come out of Christianity. So this pitch is not to get you strung up for Nutrisystem, but if you do today, we'll give you 50% off. Anyhow, <laughs> we all... That weight's a sore subject for all of us, isn't it? I'm going to tell you it's tough, but way to go, Maria. That's really good. The gospel, I know the gospel's real because the gospel makes people look different. I know the gospel is real because the gospel makes people look different, changes their life. So let me ask you this question. Uh, this is a question When's the last time you told your story to somebody? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to understand all the doctrines of the Bible. You don't have to know if it's the young earth, old earth. You don't know if they're, you know, this or that. You just have to know that you met Jesus and Jesus changed your life and you're a different person because you met Jesus. And your story, your story is the power of the gospel. And so they said to Paul, you can talk to the crowd. Paul said, I was on the road to Damascus, and I saw a blinding light, and I met Jesus.
Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning, thanking the Lord for the gospel, what Jesus has done in your life? Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you, God, that we are people that are, are, are changed by you. We thank you for that. Give us opportunities this week to tell our story. We may have to give an abbreviated version. We may have to tell it quickly. We may have more time to tell it, but let us tell our story to somebody this week. And we pray that those people that have been serving and helping, uh, they had a dream for something to work out. They've listened to you, but things haven't turned out the way they wanted them to turn out. We're grateful, Lord, that obedience is not externally measured, but it's internally measured by our obedience. So we ask you, Lord, to help us to be successful in our hearts because we know we have obeyed you with what you want us to do. We thank you for that and love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.